Sabhapaka, Sabhapak, Sabhapaka, Sakaranam, Kusala, Supasampata, Suchitta, Pariyota, Panam, Etang, Bhutan, Sasanam, De. This is the, uh, one of the key phrases in the Buddha's exhortation to the Arahants. And it's really just a, a way of encapsulating teaching. Is, uh, to avoid, to turn away from all kinds of evil, unskillfulness, um, to lift up and enter and dwell in what's bright and good, and to thoroughly clean the chitta, thoroughly purify, clean the chitta, heart, awareness, mind, but often, this is called it heart, because we have another uh, faculty called mano, which is probably what most people associate with mind. Oh, it's the effective center where we feel hurt and we feel a sense of conscience and concern and feel a sense of right intention. It affects us. That's where our moods arise from, where our aspirations come from. Where our determinations come from, where our metta comes from, where our hatred comes from. So it's quite pivotal in the way that we manifest in the world. However smart your thinking is, if the mind is infected with ill will, only suffering can result. However quick your wits are, if your mind is affected by greed and passion, only suffering can result for yourself, for others, for both. So this uh, purifying the heart. And uh, this, is a, this is a teaching of all the Buddhas. Buddha is saying this is for your welfare, because the pure heart feels joyful, light, easeful, comfortable, settled, stable. And one fundamental reason why people act in hostile, brutal, aggressive ways or intoxicated and addictive, obsessive, stubborn, niggardly and jealous is because the chitta doesn't know its own purity. It's always lost in the fabrications and formations and strategies and psychologies and schemes and impulses and fixed habits that it adopts from its confusion. These cause suffering, stress, and the person even experiences its suffering and stress. (laughs) They don't know where it stops. looking out into the world around to make it stop or examining their you know or blaming themselves or blaming their past or you know blaming their body or blaming their education or blaming feeling problems something external and they can change and fix if only got somewhere else had another one of these didn't have one of those then they'd be okay you know. 
So this keeps people very busy and restless and on the wrong track. The right track is very straight and simple, and it's always available. The right track is to go back or enter into the realm of the heart and purify and clean and ease the stress and the agitation, the turbulence and the craving that nestle there. And the result is uh, something light and clean and beautiful. And when the jitter is thus clean and bright, beautiful, it's very easy to see its nature as empty of self. Liberation, jitta. Liberation of the basis of clinging, which is the sense of there being somebody in there who has to make it happen, who's going to get somewhere, who was this and will be that. And this notion lingers as the most fundamental residue in the, in the citta. It's, you know, well, it's always assumed and never really examined. Never thought was that important to examine. <laughs> you know, I mean, how many people think it's important to examine the nature of self? They're mostly just trying to put new things onto it. You know, to examine whether there is one or not. It seems like it. So that's the basis. And uh, from this basis, This is the fundamental shroud around the citta. Then there's this fundamental experience of isolation. I'm I'm self, I'm this, I'm that. And then it's going to be self and other than self. That's that's what occurs, the duality occurs. This is self, that's other than self. This is me, that's the world. This is mine, that's hers. What can happen, what, what must happen there? can only happen there. It could be some kind of comparison, agitation, jealousy, greed, aversion, uh, feeling lesser than, feeling better than, being annoyed by, you know, making a problem, feeling weighed down by it all. And so until this level is released, Jit is never going to be that comfortable. So it's this loss of penetration, understanding both of its own true nature, you know, it's its uh, emptiness of self. Uh, this is the basis of all the problems that occur. Um, and you think, well, does it sound so nihilistic? Uh, you know, self, does it sound nihilistic? Like, But you think, well, who, who sees, who thinks, who talks, who is it? <laughs> you know, we call it self, but what is it? It's impulses, isn't it? Impulses and responses and actions, they occur. Why does there have to be an entity there? Where would that entity be? Where does that, where does that entity go? Where do they come from? What's their name? What's their number? How do they, how do they get there? How <laughs> do speculate around all these things with the soul born from somewhere else and this, that and the other. Why bother? You know, because it just penetrate the true nature of it. This is just energy, space, forms arising, forms ceasing. And these, 
So this is the ultimate peace, the ease. Nibbana paramang sukhang, the furthest, most utter sense of ease. So this is not some negative, bleak state of ease. And any any degree of, of penetration to the nature of chitta is going to bring around ease. And it's indifferent. That's the path. It's the path of happiness. Ease sukha is the path. So there's the happiness of when one is the first three instructions you're learning. And actually, once you, you know, the fundamental moment of, of touching the jitta is recognizing we do feel regret and remorse. We do feel uh, that when we act, when it's unskilled, why, why does that happen? Something shivers, something shakes, something feels stirred. And we do feel blessed when the skillful action is conducted towards us. And we do feel a sense of happiness when we can extend loving kindness and generosity and patience and compassion. We do feel good with that. You do feel clean when you're not, not when you're shaking the addiction off. You do feel brighter. And these are not just value judgments. You, you, you feel them. There's a kind of like the energetic quality of the chitta is no longer so cramped or dark or occluded or twisted. It comes out. Ah, that's what we're talking about. Good and evil are not just value judgments of whether um, it's legal or not. <laughs> It's not about legality. <laughs> it's about feeling more comfortable. Uh, uh, uh. And then so you start to follow that track. Uh, follow that track, and, and you can refine it. Gross misconduct and subtler forms of misconduct, and misconduct through speech. Vajji oh. karma, mano karma, mental intentions, thoughts, and bodily actions. So you can see these three bases that you can start to take an interest in clearing because it makes you feel better. And it, of course, it's been other people's benefit too. Yeah, but all these, the really the, the crucial one is the manokama, mind-created karma. Mind is the creator of all dhammas. If one acts, if that's acting impurely, then suffering follows you. Like you're, like the, the, what is it? The wheel follows the hoof of the ox that's pulling the cart. If it acts purely, then happiness follows. Just like the shadow that follows you as you walk along. It's like that's clear. There's mano karma, mental karma. That's the strong one. Mental action. And what is mental action? Mental action is of two kinds. One is the forming object of attention. So the mind sees something 
and it picks up something it gets irritated by. It picks up something to be attracted by. It picks up something to quarrel with. It's kind of it's got a it's this it's unskillful attention. It kind of frames up and all the various data that can be happening. It, it finds something to get its grudge going on, or its feeling of being mistreated, or its passion going on. So, you know, and you just very much see this in meditation when you're sitting there and you can't find anything to grumble about in the present, you grumble about something in the past. <laughs> Take it out again, give it another turn. <laughs> you grumble about other people, you grumble about yourself. You grumble about the way it should be, you grumble about the world. And nobody's bothering you. But you've got a grumble seeker. As an attention, the mind scans and finds some particular piece of data to get, you know, and it's got stuck in that habit. And things one could feel joy over, like the freedom from physical pain or the, nobody beating me, you know, I'm fed and warm, comfortable, don't notice that. <laughs> or, of course, we fantasize, you know, start to get passionate about. You know, sexual fantasies, food fantasies. Yeah. Um, fantasize about where we could go next year, holiday, vacation fantasies. Yeah. And you get do-it fantasies, building projects I could get involved with, stuff I could build and create and make. You get, so the mind seeks those, picks those up. It doesn't really sense there's a place where you could feel restful. It doesn't want rest, it wants fantasy. Of some kind or another, stirred. It seems to want this being stirred, and then this this picks up some object. It's called unskillful attention. Picks up a grudge object. Picks up a passion object. Picks up a delusion object, and then taps the chitta with it. The chitta went, oh, <laughs> gets knocked around by another source of, of passion or aversion. And then what what happens then? Out comes this ill will. Out comes craving. Out comes proliferation, mental proliferation from spurting out of the of the of the heart. <laughs> and then so you've got these two kinds. You've got attention and intention. Attention then attention comes out as a reaction to it. Intention comes out as a reaction to it. To what you've just and we think it's all real. It did happen to me three years ago. It was really unpleasant three years ago. I've got every right to feel annoyed. Yeah, but that was three years ago. Yeah, but it was wrong. Yeah, but why do you want to keep doing it now? (laughs) And there's another fundamental thing flowing from the jitta. I want to have a history. I want to have a history of what I did and didn't do and will do. This craving for self, which is the fundamental uh, bent, distortion of the chitta. So, in the present moment, nothing's going on particularly to get myself going on. So I'll cook up something. (laughs) This is not a decision at this level. It's just the reflex of the chitta trying trying to generate some kind of self over data, pieces of history. Yeah. 
physical appearance is what I could be, uh, my rights, my views, my independence, and so forth. And so you see how these, all this process in, the, in that blurring of ill will or passion or fantasies or whatever, everything's so stirred up you can't see anything clearly. And then we follow them. Yeah. We follow them, or we just feel irritated with ourselves and hopeless, being overwhelmed with it all. And then we generate a hopeless self. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens. This is impersonal. Yeah. That's the mechanism. That's the results of karma. So, mental karma, you don't physically, verbally do anything even involving yourself in that process, end result of it is a there's a self-born at the end of that who takes on the characteristics and the form of the particular impulses and attentions that the mind and the heart have cooked up. Right. Wounded self and uh, inadequate self, uh, the one who is treated badly, the one who's never listened to, the one who needs to do this, the one who's got the great idea, so on. Uh, and these forms of, of that's the end result of the mental karma. So this act, mental karma is very significant. Uh, it's the leader of it all, really. But you can be sure that if that process is going on, sooner or later the speech is going to get bent and twisted in that particular direction. Because as you think, so you speak. Sooner or later it tumbles out. Either top, not necessarily the topics, but the energies. Those kinds of things you think, I'm not going to talk about that. But still, you can feel the, the speeching is, is coarse or rough or brutal or manipulative or fearful. It, it, you can taste it, you can feel the energy of the speech is not light, peaceful, easeful, complaining or stressful or pressurizing or pushy or negligent or dismissive or callous or cynical or, you know, particularly when you hear it, you hear it coming out of your mouth, you listen to it. And you're, in a way, this is kind of where one begins to wake up. Then you really hear it. And then your degree of conscience and concern that's in the jitta, mm, sounds good. Mm. It doesn't sound very nice, doesn't it? And then we can feel so encouraged with beautiful speech. You know, when someone speak carefully, clearly, so, you know, without pressure, without force, and clearly to the point. Oh, oh, that's nice. That feels good. And this is the blessing of living in noble company. It's the basis of Dhamma. When the Buddha described the process of awakening, he said, well, it's 
you've got to find good good people first of all. So you can actually hear, not just the advice, but you feel a quality of presence. And oh, that's there. It is pretty hard, you know, that's an uplift. Without that, we just, we don't have a standard. And when you listen or look around at the level of speech and lying and brutality and cursing and swearing and manipulation and dismissiveness that's going on, particularly in the political realm, and these are the role models. And it's not, it's just what you can get away with, really. There's no sense of speech as beautiful treasure to be stored up. Just flippant remarks and bluster. And if we don't find the noble company, then what are we going to learn from? But when you do, heart lifts up. You think, oh yeah, there is that. It makes me feel brighter, clearer. Noble company lives to hear the good Dhamma. And you start to get a sense of clarifying your ethics and clarifying three bases of conduct. This is possible. A karma works both ways, good and bad. Also karma means that it means that you can pick up the karma of other people, good or bad. That's what anatta, not self, means. Is you can be your mind can be following the grubbiness and stupidity of other people, or it can be following the beauty and the clarity of other people. This is what anatta means. Where the chitta is very open, and as it adopts those voices and sounds, it's saying, "Oh, yes, me speaking." That's me thinking, well, no, not so. What's actually happening is mind selecting particular data, objects, in accordance with the way it's been taught. And you've come into a very materialist, worldly, secular society, it's taught, inducted into seeking particular attraction, Accumulation, wealth, power, glamour, fame, yeah, on, better, better. And it's also trained to dismiss, push aside, barge, get on. So it's trained to do that. So it ends up being locked into that particular habit. We pick up the karma. The mind picks up the karma. The world trains it. So if you don't train your mind, the world will train it for you. And where does it go? Look around the world. Look at where the world goes. Conflict, pressure, 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 competition, conflict, deceit, brutality. Look at the way the world goes. Depression, anxiety, fear. Mm. 
It's even things that are not ethically bad, just the sense of the competition of the workplace and the pressure that puts on the heart-mind, heart-mind to always be seeking the best, the perfect, the quickest, the shortcut, the answer, productivity, make it work, you know, pressure, pressure, pressure. So the, it gets formed like that. So you, you know, everything becomes a pressurized. I've known people make a pressurized job out of washing up in a, in a monastery. Oh, I've got to wait. I've got to get the washing up done. It's just, it's just doing the dishes, you know. Yeah, but I want to. Like, it's not. It's not an intense job. <laughs> I mean, good, good people, virtuous people. That, that's the sorrow of it. People with virtuous intentions, minds have been so shaped by urgency and by work. Everything takes on that characteristic. Even just washing dishes in a monastery kitchen. Can't turn up five minutes late. Gotta get it done. Frantically mopping the floor. It's like locked. (laughs) As if that's what's needed in order to be okay here. And it's something that... What's happened? The mind sees something, focuses on that, and then it jabs that into the heart. Heart comes out with its responses. Hurry up, get it done, gotta make it work, get it work. Yeah. So even this, we see this is not evil, but it's defiled. It's cramped, it's narrow, it's not, uh, not beautiful. Maybe well-intentioned in a way, but it's still, it's not peaceful, it's not joyful, it's not easeful. Even these kinds of things we see uh, as defilement. And the end result of it, it generates the person. And keep bearing this in mind, witness it. Uh, it generates, you think the person generates the karma. Nope, the karma generates the person. The jitta generates the karma. <laughs> the mind formulates that. The result is the person. And you get this feedback loop. As that gets, habit gets entrained. The habit gets entrained, then it rolls on and on and on. And the firmer and the more stubborn and the more anchored in that person experience becomes. Till the untrained mind doesn't believe that they could be anything else. Make meditation work project, get intense about that. Got to be best at it, got to get it done. Hurry up and get into jhana. Make a work project of meditating. <laughs> yeah, it's, it could be funny, but it's not. I've seen so much of it. Why is that? Because of the conditioning. And if you're not, always the idea, if I'm not doing it, if I'm not getting intense and working hard, oh, it will be... Uh, 
turn create I don't know, but it won't be good. <laughs> it won't be good. And probably won't. Because when the mind has been so trained in that way, it's like you've got it's it's, it's lost the capacity to be to sense in a more subtle and balanced way. It's like we've walked on crutches for so long, strapped in a straitjacket for long, so long, you've lost the use of your limbs. So it is when the mind is deeply anchored in these karmic habits, coming out of them is quite disorienting. But then the beauty of it is the recognition, this is an organic system, it can grow, it can return to full vitality and life if you encourage it, if you keep being prepared to accept not very good results, not the perfect results, but fumble, but staying, practicing, calming, easing, and make it as simple as possible. This has to be the watchword for meditation, as direct and simple as possible, that you can just do. and as light as possible. So once you use a phrase like unremitting mindfulness, you think, oh no, here we go. You can feel the intensity starting already. You know, if you're something your stomach starts to nod up. Unwavering attention, unremitting mindfulness. Oh. It sounds good. And you know, in some ways it's also true, but you see, and certainly for the Western mind, I think it's quite dangerous, really. Because primary conditioning is work. When the Buddha was teaching, he said, well, you've got sensuality, you know, foe, passion, and you've got fear of animals, fear of brutality, fear of death, fear of thieves robbing you. So the kind of conditioning agents is a very natural and organic. But now, what do we do? We work. And that starts maybe at the age of five. You're starting to get into the work attitude. <laughs> you get a cup a few months off. <laughs> or you're learning how to walk. <laughs> and then it starts. The performance starts. And it starts. And you know. Seven, eight, nine, ten, you're starting to get into it. The performance. This will get you the grades, this will get you the results, this will get you, make your life a success in the future. It's stressful now, but in the future it'll be fine. Twenty-five, it's stressful now, but in the future it'll be fine. Thirty, you enter your first nervous breakdown. You get over that, but in the future it's gonna be fine. By forty, you've had two divorces, you know, nervous breakdown, few addictions taking medication to get to sleep, but in the future you'll be fine. <laughs> 65, you're a complete wreck, sitting in front of a telly, brain dead, soaking yourself in Netflix, because that's all, all you've got left. There you are, you're happy now, aren't you? <laughs> you made it. The mind has been so crippled for 50 years <laughs> the time he finally let, let them out of the casing 
there's no juice left, you just sag, <laughs> couching out. <laughs> That's not the story in the time of the Buddha. They didn't commute. The Buddha never commuted. They didn't have this kind of intensities that uh, very much the, uh, you know, the feature of the age. So it's something we really got to work with. How the mind is shaped by social currents. And it picks that message up and everything then gets shaped in the same way. Performance, perfection, get it right, quick, fast, hard, brutal, stop, compare, contrast. Criticise yourself, you're not getting good enough. Give yourself some negative feedback. Bit of whipping now and then, it's good for you. (laughs) And people develop these kind of inner tyrant psychologies. Endlessly critical. What's that? That's not. That's the crippled jitta. You know. How can anything so sick as beating yourself up? That's not a that's not a conscious decision. That's a that's a psychological disorder that comes from the jitter being crippled, distorted, held in some crazy straitjacket. We start to go insane, as people do. You know, all kinds of you know mental disease these days, and suicides, more suicides than homicides in the world. Yeah, more sui- more people kill themselves than kill other people. How crazy can it get? From anxiety, depression, failure, can't keep going. Too much, not enough. Not worth living. So this purification of mind is not just some kind of esoteric piece of spiritual. You know, jargon, it's actually necessary for our welfare and happiness. And knowing what you have to purify, what it means. And you can make purification into a work project. Like bleach. <laughs> you know, sterilize, cut, criticize to get pure. No, this is about lightness, joyfulness. Yeah. Uh, that's the nature, that's what purity is about. It's not puritanical. Uh, how does that happen? Uh, you say, well, once you've got some sense of conscience of concern, Hiriotipa, you've touched the chitta. And you should dwell in that sensitivity. And you should linger in it. You should make much of it. Practice it. You should linger in the qualities of loving kindness and gratitude and generosity whenever they occur. When there is a possibility to experience them, the more you frame up objects in that light, do I have some possibility? Can I see something to feel grateful for? Rather than something to feel critical about. I've certainly made this a practice in, in, in my life. I make a practice for years of every evening, last thing at night, think of ten things to feel grateful for. 
well, didn't kill me. It's a bit of a rough day, but roof over the head, fine. Feel a bit stroppy today, but um, you know, know, birds were nice. (laughs) Just to train the mind, don't keep picking the sores. And in that sense of, you know, yeah, I did okay. I could have could have really lost my temper or got annoyed, or I didn't. Yeah. A little bit of gratitude that one's able to, you know. So you're framing up something that would touch the jitta in a way that where it's no longer going to these negative impulses, afflictive impulses. So it's attention and intention. And what's the key? What's the place where they meet? Contact. Contact is the place where you get touched. Oh, contact, touched. Notice that. What touches? It's not really about sense data, it's about what particular piece of sense data has been selected. And, you know, and how. The most important sense datum is the thinking mind. What we think about, pick up something, some thought, bang, contact, oh. And uh, in training practice, you first of you try to work on, well, let's try to turn the thinking mind, the attention onto something that's going to give some little bit of uplift. And then you start to work on contact, even things that are brought to my attention that are not agreeable, not pleasant, not beautiful. Let's work on the place where it touches me instead of getting agitated, tightening. Could I just open and relax? Let the the impact hit and let it move through before I jump out and react. You work on contact, less reactive. This means just taking a breath, pausing. That was not agreeable. That was not pleasant. That was rude. I felt offensive. I felt hurt. And you realize that which wants to take, to lash back is not going to do me good. Because then it would just saturate my mind in, you know, vengefulness. The glee of putting, hurting somebody else, of putting somebody else down, what kind of poison is that? And it's better just to let that one pass and see if we can come back with something more skillful. Training intention. Yeah. The Buddha gave these examples, you know, if you, somebody says, it's like you look in a muddy pond, you look in a muddy pond, it's got lots of mud in it, when you sort of sweep away the really crud slime, you can get a handful of pure water out of it. And you say, well, okay, well, what about, this is like a person, you know, he's got a lot of defilements, but there's a little bit of good in it, you try to aim for that, scoop that up, because what's the point of, Putting something to your mind to make you feel bitter and angry. And he says, Well, 
imagine they've just got enough, like the, the amount of water that would occur in the imprint of a cow's hoof in mud, that amount of water. If you can see that amount of goodness in them, still drink that bit. <laughs> Take that bit. And then you think, okay, they've got this good in them. Then, then when, when, I, when my heart dwells in that, then I don't feel rancor, I don't feel frustrated, I don't feel angry, I feel a sense of, okay, then I can maybe talk to this person about, uh, I know you're a person who means well, maybe this piece of behaviour you haven't really seen. doesn't mean you don't address the behaviour, but you, you check where you're coming from, rather than I'm going to set you straight, and bam, 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 feedback. I'm going to give you some feedback, bam. <laughs> Generally... <laughs> There's the way that people even understand feedback. You know, when somebody says, I'm going to give you some feedback, you generally don't mean I'm going to tell you how nice you are. Why can't we we do that? (laughs) That was a really generous thing you did. I noticed you tried really hard. Well, for that, why don't you give some positive feedback? Oh, and I'm going to set you straight, bamo, bamo, you know, that will sort him out. Does that ever fix anybody? Yeah. And what are you doing to your own mind? Training to be critical. Training it not to see the good in another person. Training it to not notice they have made commitments. Training it to not notice that they have problems. Training it to be callous, insensitive. What kind of results can that be? And stubbornly sticking it to it because this is my mind and I've got every right to think what I want. I'm a free individual, it's my mind, I'm a, it's my right to see things the way I see them. This is freedom of thought. This is what we fought for the ability to have my own mind, my own opinions. Right? And nobody's going to shake me out of my own opinions. It's my right to have my own views and opinions. And I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. (laughs) And freedom of speech means I can tell any lie I like, any piece of gossip, lying, cursing, that's my right. (laughs) This is the West. We fought for this. It's a free country. You can be as defiled as you like. <laughs> it's your right. And then you go, yeah, I'm a real individual. <laughs> Nobody can tell me anything. anything. Do you want to be like that? <laughs> Do you want to be like that? So you kind of lift it up a bit, you know, you caricature it. Is that what you want to be? How do you get out of it? How do you, how do you take it? You keep, this process is very simple. The meditation process is your vitaka, vichara, you touch, bring your attention, just simple, light attention to body, breath, mantra, sound, sin, footstep, just touch it. That's all. And then open, listen to it. How's that? 
Touch small, listen long. Touch it, let's do it again. Do it again. Because in the, that moment, your attention is not seeking. Well, you're training it to not seek passion, your will, work, business, getting things done, getting on to the next thing in a hurry. You just no, just stop, right? Just there, just touch it, it's all. Just name it. Don't have to do a brilliant name, just a simple name like Buddha. Not the new, original, great, fantastic name, but just simple. What you would do is just use the mind to give you a simple, clear, light statement. Mini, half a second long. Listen. Do it again. All this time, you're training your mind, your attention to move away from those habits. Those tendencies. The contact you're making is simple, easeful contact. You should make your meditation something you can just easily settle on. Walking up and down. Feeling the whole body. Not making a work project out of it. Just sense of body doing what bodies do. Breathing in and out. Mm, opening to that. Simple. Of course, we get complicated because it's old mental karma. Then you stop, take a breath, open up. Yeah. And you can feel the results because once you've got into one of these karmic patterns, you get everything starts to tighten up, get driven. You feel yourself speeding up, aiming for a result, trying to get it working, criticizing yourself, striving for some goal or nothing. No, stop, wrong, program, wrong, program, back off, withdraw, <laughs> reset. <laughs> you are, you have a body, it's here, it's breathing, open up and receive it as it is. And let it, it will lead. We've got so used to driving our minds to get somewhere that we don't think they'll, they'll move, they'll, they'll develop without it. There's got to be a self in there making things work and getting, getting progress happening. Otherwise, it's just going to be chaos. Well, maybe. What's it like if you relate to something lightly, Friendly, clearly, easily. Don't you think there could be some response coming from the heart? Lifts up. Curiosity, inviting it to explore what's happening. So that listening process is not just dumb, it's astute, it's attentive, it's curious. Don't you think there could be something would start to light up with that? And it wasn't looking for any results or conclusions. It was just open and interested. Don't you think there could be something rather beautiful to arise in that? And what would arise, of course, is that, (laughs) perhaps it's the wrong word, what ceases 
is more important. What ceases is the clamour. What ceases is the pressure. What ceases is the passion. What ceases is the aversion, the complications, the stress. That ceases. You don't have to think about where where you're getting to, just think what you're leaving behind. That's a much better way of looking at it. Casting off, moving out of the grip of defilements, moving out of the grip of habit, moving out of the grip of old karma. Doing that. What's the result? What kind of light? Humorous, joyful, warm. Released, no pressure, nowhere to go, nothing to make, nothing to prove. Oh, this is why the Buddha called it unbinding, nibbana, unbinding, taking off the straitjackets, the shackles, the fetters, releasing these intense accumulations, stripping down to purity. That's why the Buddha called it Nibbana. It's not something you have to gain. It's something that is the undoing of pain, suffering, in its latent forms, in its active forms. And the hallmark of it is go lightly. Trust, go lightly, persistently, go lightly. There's a something beautiful to be revealed here. We can cast away that which oppresses us. Mm-hmm. So, then you, really you can begin to change the karma. Karma changes because then your speech is going to be clearer easier uh, and your thinking and the world you generate what you see and what you notice is going to change mm. what you see and what you notice what you talk about and how you speak uh, this is a blessing for yourself and for others uh, so Nibbana is for one's welfare the welfare of others and the welfare of both. This is why the Buddha called it the ultimate ease, the highest ease. Nibbana and Parama Sukkam. So this is our, our observance day and uh, yeah, take leave to a occupied your attention with my talk for a while. I hope it's of some use. If there's something that's been in it that you can pick up and keep registering and practicing with, one or two themes in that, one or two terms in that, then it's been my privilege to have been able to present that. So thank you for your attention.